0: This week on the How The Fuck Podcast, we have a killer interview with Todd Klauser. In the last few years, Todd has built up a YouTube channel with 550,000 subscribers and it's grown at a rate of 15 to 20k new subscribers per month. If you want to know how to do this for your business, then you're in luck because Todd has come on the podcast to share his secrets in detail. We go over a four-step process for getting a large reach from engaging content, It starts with identifying the best hosts and guests before moving into content strategy when you can get tips on how long to plan for and how to identify topics that people in your industry really want to hear about. The final steps are execution and analytics and we touch upon how you can promote your content so you get reach and business growth. Before we go on, open up LinkedIn now and follow me and the How The Fuck podcast and Todd Klauser as well to get valuable insight in more bite-sized chunks so you can improve your marketing skills every day. Thanks for listening. Hi, Todd. Welcome to the How the Fuck podcast. It's great to have you on. Just to get started, please can you give us like a one, two minute walkthrough of your marketing journey so far?
1: So I first started marketing back in 2011 when I
0: when I joined a welding
1: automation company. The owner of that company had a domain name that he owned since the 90s called Weld.com and he sat on it for a long time, didn't know what to do with it. And then 2011, he decided that he wanted to do something with it. So the timing just kind of lined up. I was looking for a job at the time and we were introduced by the guy who was actually developing the website for him. And when he when he was developing that website, he didn't know exactly what he wanted to do with it. He just knew that he had a good domain name that, that really spoke to the industry. I mean, you can't really get much better for the welding industry than weld.com. So he knew he wanted to do something with it. In the beginning, it was a directory sort of website and we needed a way to drive people to the website. So what we were doing is we were creating educational content on YouTube to try to drive with some sort of call to action to drive people to the website. And what we quickly found out was that there was a lot more appetite for what we were doing on YouTube than what we were doing with the website. And that was that was back in the day when people were people were doing stuff with YouTube, but it was very early on for companies getting involved in YouTube. Mostly it was people uploading their own personal stuff. So we quickly r- realized that that there was a play in that space to actually grow and build this, this audience and become a thought leader in the YouTube space. So we kind of pivoted and made that our our main goal. And the website, we pivoted the website to kind of complement that education that we were doing on YouTube. So that's that's my background in kind of building audiences on YouTube, and leveraging your website to go along with it.
0: Cool, okay. It's definitely a great domain name to have, you're right. It's one of those kind of rare one word domain names that everyone wishes they bought back in the 90s. So how is it, like before we jump into the YouTube channel success story, how is it that Weld.com makes money? Why are you creating this educational content?
1: So with Weld.com, we've we've kind of gone on this this evolution. So when, when it was in its early stages, we actually had an e-commerce store on there well.com actually got sold and when when the new owners got it that e-commerce store didn't make sense to the to the parent company so we got rid of the store and now it's it's purely educational the way that well.com makes money is through sponsorship dollars primarily and then we also have like some some merchandise and stuff that we sell on the website but what we're what we're starting to do now is we are actually because we have this reputation in the industry for creating this type of content now we're actually working more as you could almost think of it as an agency where we're creating and managing other companies YouTube content for them so the idea behind it being turning a turning a current manufacturer or distributor into an influencer themselves so they can be have that thought leadership role within their company.
0: Cool, so you're really an expert in creating this kind of YouTube content. Who is it in those companies that you turn into the influencer or the the kind of host of the YouTube channel?
1: So that's kind of the the first step. Whenever we talk to a company, the the first thing right off the bat is, okay, who is going to have that influencer role within the company? and there's a there's a couple of different things you can do. One, you can have your sales or marketing team do it, and that's what a lot of companies do and, and you really have to look inwardly at your company. do we have these subject matter experts that can that can do that and a lot of these a lot of these companies either they they don't have somebody that has the time to do that or they they don't have that person at all you got you got some of these companies that a small number of people have multiple roles and in those cases okay now we're looking at who can what influencers can these companies partner up with and use the influencers as as the the thought leaders on behalf of that company so you really you really have to figure out internally who those hosts will be and honestly in the end some combination of both is normally the best using your sales team or marketing team internally alongside with, some some influencer partners that that hit those targets that you want in the industry. Mm-hmm. So, I mean once you identify these people, next it becomes about about what sort of content do you actually put out? And when you're when you're coming up with content for your YouTube channel especially when when companies the marketing team or the sales team in some of these these older industrial companies they're very used to putting out like product explainer videos or something like that that are very inwardly focused on a on a product or the brand but when you're when you're creating content for YouTube you kind of you have to think what's the industry's pain point not so much the pain points that your company is satisfying because your goal is to become an industry thought leader not a thought leader on your products so you want to be that industry thought leader not a search result so what i what i kind of mean by that is let me ask you a question ben have you ever have you ever been sitting at home you don't know what you're going to eat for dinner and you google or youtube a, a recipe for something you want to eat for dinner that night yep many times Okay, let me let me ask you this, you, and this may be a long shot, but do you, what that last recipe or item was?
0: Mm, I think it was a brownie recipe or something like that. Okay,
1: now now let me ask you a question. You, the person that had the recipe for that brownie? No. Could you tell me the website or the, the person that created the YouTube video?
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, apart from the BBC, which I use all the time.
1: So so that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. And that's that's something that a lot of markers kind of fall victim to because we all have SEO campaigns and trying to rank in Google. But when it comes to YouTube, search results are forgettable. So like if you if you go and you YouTube a, a recipe just because you want to cook something that night and they may tell you how to make it and it's great, that search result is forgettable now. Yeah. And I'm using cooking because it's something that everybody can relate to. There's thought leaderships within those within each of these categories too. Now, I can tell you there's a online cook or chef or whatever you want to call him that I listen or I watch on a regular basis named Sam the Cooking Guy. Now, when I don't know what I'm going to make for dinner that night, I'll hop on Sam the Cooking Guy's YouTube channel, see what he's making. And nine times out of 10, I know that what he likes kind of aligns with what I like and I'll just make whatever he's making. So these, these are kind of these very high level, like you have to figure out those pain points at a very high level. He's not, he's not driving down into something so specific. He's hitting these industry high pain points. And, and I think as marketers, we have to look at that. My industry is welding. So if I make a, a welding torch, I'm not going to create a YouTube channel specifically around welding torches, I'm going to create a channel around the entire industry to become a thought leader in that industry. And my products may get seen on there. And And it's that, that trickle-down effect that, okay, now if I'm looking for a specific TIG torch or, or whatever torch, I know this company is a thought leader and they can probably help me out with this problem.
0: So would you say that connection is definitely there then? Because I, w- I think what you're saying is that SEO doesn't really create much brand awareness you just kind of jump on and then jump out and forget about it. but when you follow someone you sort of subconsciously work out what they're about, assess them, and then when the time comes, you sort of think of them first
1: absolutely absolutely because th- it's another it's another misconception because a lot of people are are so ingrained into this SEO mindset from a, a website ranking perspective. When you go over to YouTube, that's not how it works. They're not looking at, I'm going to display content by keywords or any of the stuff that we're we're so accustomed to creating for written SEO. They're looking at things like watch time and they want time on platform. So they already know what's in the video. They don't need to use your keywords or your title or whatever to figure that out. When you upload your video, platform already knows what it's about so Mm -hmm. from a content creator perspective we need to look at okay what is what does our audience want to see and how can we keep them captivated through the entire thing so kind of bringing this back around to the content planning side of this so a, a lot of us when we when we Decide what we're going to create. We look internally at our sales team at our marketing team, our customers, whatever, to figure out what these topics are going to be. But when you're creating for YouTube, again, you don't want this sales pitch type of video. So how do you, how do you come up with these topics, these pain points? And what I tell people that, that I work with is okay, whether you're using your salespeople internally or you're using influencers or whatever, go out, find your, your top, 10, 15, whatever influencers that are doing very well in that industry, that niche, that category, whatever, and reach out to them. I mean, you want to be involved with these people anyway, because if you're trying to build your YouTube presence, they can likely help you. But even if they don't show up on your channel, most of them are, are willing to work with you. So ask them, say, hey, could you help us out? And create like a quick poll and and see what your audience wants to see because that's what you're trying to hit. And in my experience, most people are very willing to help and and they'll do that for you. And then you can use that poll as your your content calendar for generally, if you have 5 to 10 people do that for you, you can get easily Three six months worth of content right off the bat. So now, what that content is that that you're creating for, and, and the other thing that most of these people do very well, and the reason they have these high these big audiences, is because they're they're creating their content because they know it's what their audience wants to see. A lot of times as companies, we are we are creating content, how can we get a call to action in? How can we monetize this content by pushing people to the website or whatever? These people are very good at what they do and they have these audiences because they're they're creating content based upon what their audience wants to see. And that is that's that's what's key. That's what you have to get out of that sales mindset as a company and kind of maybe not emulate these influencers but learn from how they're creating content
0: how keen are they normally to do this for you you know when you reach out to an influencer are they actually going to post a poll for us
1: yeah i mean in my experience yes so i i'm in kind of this unique space where i have one we have this well.com channel that that is the influencer so we have a very large following we create content twice a week. So we know very well what our audience likes and doesn't like. And then on the other side of that, we are managing channels for different companies. So in my experience, anytime a company reaches out to me on the well.com side asking for help, that's much more interesting to me than when I get one of these someone reaching out to me like hey we want you to create some sort of sponsored intro or become an affiliate or or whatever if i if i hear from someone who generally wants help and to be a a long-term partner in my experience i've always been willing to help
0: okay so it's somewhat about the approach like coming at it from a we want to form a relationship and create a partnership with you um rather than just asking for help straight away Do you often ask the influencers themselves to come on and host your show?
1: Yeah. So like with well.com, we have a, we have a lot of different sponsors in different categories and a lot of times because we have different hosts for our, our channel but there's all these different niches that we're not experts in. We, we may be a jack of all trades, master of none. And then we want to bring in different people that are really good at one specific niche. So like for instance, we have a sponsor that creates filler wires. Now in welding, that's a huge, a huge topic. And we have one of their technical sales guys come in and he talked about uh, a couple of different topics when he was in, but one of them, it's a proce- a welding process called hard facing. So when he did that, he talked specifically about process. We introduced him as the, the sales guy from this company. But after that, we didn't talk about specific product. We didn't talk about the brand, the company, he was just showing how to do this process and solve a problem because we knew and he knew that's what our audience wanted to see. And you can see in the comment section, in the in the back end with watch times and all that, people relate to this guy, they like him, and, and after the fact, they're going and, and they're finding his company. Now, the opposite side of that, we've also worked with companies that it was more, they wanted to be, come on the channel, and then it was more of a sales pitch. and you you see the opposite effect. You look down in the comment section and they'll tell you, get this guy off the channel, he's a he's a sales guy. That's not what I want to see. Unsubscribe, that sort of thing. So we learned really quickly that that when you bring people in, you need to kind of to to train them and teach them that this is not a sales pitch. This is a an opportunity to become a thought leader or start that start making your internal sales staff influencers themselves.
0: Do you think just to step back like a little bit, when you ask the thought leaders for, you know, their understanding of what's the most valuable thing at the moment for their audience, how is it that you then choose how to address those topics? Like, how do you know whether you're going to use the sales guy, an in-house thing, get an expert from the outside?
1: I think that that kind of varies by company.
0: So like from, from
1: my experience, if I've got a really good sales team that that's, very knowledgeable on a subject matter. My first choice is going to be, okay, I'm going to use those guys because now I'm building this this thought leadership from within my company. So, but everybody, every company doesn't have that. So if if your sales guys are not subject matter experts. Cause I mean, let's face it at a lot of companies, the, the sales guys have tons of product lines and they're not an expert in everything. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's, if that's your company, then I would look outward to, okay, who, who are the thought leaders within my industry as far as like influencers go and reach out to them? Because now, I mean, you, you may not have this, this feeling like you're owning the knowledge, it's your internal people that are talking about it, but you have this built-in audience with these with these influencers that now they're willing to talk on behalf of your company. So now you may not be owning that knowledge per se, but you have these people that are confident enough in your brand or your company, that they're willing to tie
0: their name to it. Do you think you can also build up the kind of equity and the the thought leadership of each of your sales team by making them part of the hosting of the podcast? So instead of being the ones talking about uh, their expertise and how they can solve your problems, just being there, you know, facilitating.
1: Yeah, and, and this is a good way to kind of bridge that that gap. Like I said, it, it's it's good to have a combination. So, if you have a sales guy or a marketing guy or a subject matter expert or or a person within your company that's not necessarily a subject matter expert, you can bring in an influencer that you're partnered up with and you have your your person internally kind of act as the facilitator and now just by, just by proxy, that person starts to build up their own little following and, and can really latch on to that thought leadership role if, if they choose. Because you can learn a lot from people just by talking to them. So yeah, I think there's a lot of value in having someone internally kind of grow into that thought leadership role. And you can do that with influencers.
0: So we've discussed now a bit about the strategy behind building an audience like this. You know who you're going to get on as a host how you're going to build value there how are you going to build up an audience by by finding out their problems and addressing those and what kind of content that are you going to create so what about executing this kind of stuff how do we start there
1: so once you once you kind of figure out who who that person's going to be that's going to be on camera you have that okay so now you you've kind of you've figured out what your content calendar is going to be and i recommend at least even before you start filming, you need to know three to five months out what your content is going to be. So now you've got that that kind of handled. So now we're at this execution phase, okay? How do we film these videos?
0: Just to interrupt you there, I just want to ask about that. Why three to five months of content?
1: Well, especially if you're using an influencer or if your sales guy is on the road a lot, they're not in-house, you need to have content banked because, and and there's there's kind of different thoughts on this, but from a corporate standpoint, I think there's value in having regular content coming out. So you want to have enough content banked. So if something happens where people can't travel to you to film the content or, or whatever, you still have content that you can put out on a regular basis. And I mean, just in these last three to four months that's been a prime example it's it's difficult to get good content right now because people aren't traveling
0: 100 percent. yeah i can see that easier to do podcasts right now
1: well i mean there's yeah there's there's always kind of the 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 ways around it we see a lot of zoom meetings and like panels and that sort of thing but i think i think that's at least in the youtube world it gets old because youtube is a very visual platform so now that we're now that we're in this we have to figure out how we're going to create this content so how are we going to film it how are we going to promote it let me kind of give you an example because we've all seen this video before you go on a company's youtube channel and they have a sales guy kind of standing in front of the camera and he says my name is blank today i'm going to talk about the whatever product and this is my my company here are the features advantages and benefits of this product for more info visit the website it's a it's a typical product explainer sales guy standing in front of a camera now there's a there's a couple things wrong with that the first is it's a it's a very inauthentic video it's it's a sales pitch but the 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 bigger issue is unless you're, unless you're your sales guy or subject matter expert or whoever's on camera is a theater major, nine times out of 10, they're not very good on camera. So you you have to realize that all of your hosts are different. And this goes for influencers as well. I've worked with a ton of influencers they are terrible on camera. So you have to realize that and kind of film to their strengths. So... I'll give you a quick example of one of the companies that that we manage their YouTube content for. We brought in this influencer because they they predominantly use influencers as the host of their channel. We brought him in, and he's one of the the best guys out there that I've seen that can weld aluminum. He's extremely knowledgeable. He's got a, a really interesting background and in where he came from, but he can't talk to the camera to save his life. So when we're when we're bringing people in to shoot content, we're, we're paying for their flights, we're paying for their hotel, all their expenses. We expect to get a decent amount of content from that. So we're trying to shoot six, eight, 10 videos over the course of a couple of days. So how do you shoot this video to this guy's strengths who knows a lot about his niche, but he can't talk to the camera. So in this example, what I did is, I realized this pretty quickly, that he'll talk my ear off about a, a process or whatever, but the second I turn that camera on, he's just like deer in headlights. So what I did is I personally, I, I put a little piece of electrical tape over the red light so they don't know if I'm filming or not. And I'll just hit that record button, point the camera in a different direction so it's not even looking at him. And I'll just have a conversation with him. And, and he'll go on and on and on. He talked to me for 45 minutes about everything that that video was going to be about in in detail with enthusiasm and then i i stopped recording i said okay now we just have to film b-roll around that so we filmed a whole bunch of b-roll around it 45 minutes of, of talking we cut down into a 10 12 minute video and now all he's got to do is shoot a, a five second intro saying i'm so and so and today we're going to talk about this and a five second outro saying thanks for watching hit the subscribe button or whatever you're you're called action at the end is so when you're executing this stuff you have to think more like a filmmaker than a marketer
0: that makes a lot of sense so I'm sorry to just ask maybe a stupid question but what is b-roll
1: b-roll is think about like if you're watching somebody talk you have one camera that that generally the person is talking to, so they're looking straight into the camera. That's what we call A-roll. So that's a, the person talking. B-roll would be so. If I'm talking about how I made a club sandwich, I'm talking about I put the the turkey on the bottom, the bread in the middle, the ham on the top. I have another camera that's actually filming that mm-hmm. that action happening. So like as I'm talking about it, it's more of a voiceover.
0: Okay, yeah. So you kind of made him the narrator and filmed what he was talking about. That's such a good idea, actually. So, how much of your time do you actually spend editing film and, and taking, making the movies and that kind of thing? Uh, and did you learn it from scratch when you first joined Weld.com?
1: Yeah. So, my my background is in marketing. I really, I photography and videography was kind of a hobby for me growing up, but it was never like a a professional interest of mine until I until I got with Weld.com. And this was we were we were trying to figure out ways to drive people to the website. And it just seemed like a natural progression. We need to educate people. And the owner of that company was actually, he was pretty big into video, but the problem became he was always very busy. So he kind of started out doing all of it, but we needed to put out content on a regular basis. So I kind of learned as I went, had a little bit of background in it, but I just kind of picked it up as I went. And I mean, nowadays, there's a lot there's a lot of really good content out there on YouTube and LinkedIn and other platforms where you can learn pretty much anything relatively quickly.
0: For anyone who's listening who is thinking of doing this themselves, how hard is it to pick up and learn? Like It seems like a great idea, but I know having done this podcast, how time intensive it can be, uh, you know, editing podcasts and things, especially at the beginning, getting to grips with it. You know, how, how time intensive is it?
1: Yeah. yeah, no and it it, it is a very time intensive process if you're going to do it right. But that being said, you you can get people like even if even if you film everything, you can you can outsource your editing if you if you really don't have somebody in house that can do it. So I mean there's ways around yeah bringing someone on full-time or, or whatever, but it's it's definitely
0: easier if you have somebody in-house that can do it. Definitely. That's like a, it's a case of, yeah, like cost benefit to your own time, isn't it? Yeah. I'm just wondering about, I guess the theme or the theme of your, so your channel, for example, world.com. Is there like a way up between keeping it focused and being in a sort of, like you said, a niche that lots of people can latch onto and know what you're about? but then also making it broad enough to make enough content. Would you advise, say someone starting a YouTube channel to, to start really focused and build up that audience or just, just do anything that their audience is interested in in one channel?
1: I would recommend starting at a very high level because you can always, you can always dive deeper into, into specific topics but you're going to reach a lot more people in the beginning if you're at a, if you're at a very high industry level and then again that, that gives you a lot more people that you can bring in so for us it's the the channel is really around welding and fabrication so, which is you can do just about anything. So we can have people that come in and talk about one specific process and a whole subset of our audience might be extremely interested in that process and others may not be. But if we just focused on that single process to start, we're eliminating a, a, a whole other subsection of the industry. And, and we, we actually kind of learned this by example, when we started the host that was that was on camera for all of our videos, there's a process within welding that's called TIG welding. And it's, there's, there's a whole bunch of different processes, but this is predominantly used in, it's, it's considered like a precision style of welding. So it's, it's used a lot in aerospace and the racing industry and, and some other very precision based industries. But there's also, and I I don't want to get too technical, but like there's also MIG and stick and flux core and all these other processes that we just completely ignored because our host was very good at TIG welding. So in the first, you know, without looking exactly directly at the numbers, I want to say within like the first three to four years, we we probably built 50,000 subscribers. And then since we expanded that with more hosts and more processes and going to this high level industry viewpoint, we've grown from we went from 50,000 subscribers to 150 within a year and then now we're we're getting anywhere from 15 to 20,000 new subscribers per month and hitting we're at anywhere from three to four and a half million views per month so.
0: So is your target audience quite general then like you drive any kind of welding industry traffic to your site rather than a specific group of people?
1: So, and I think this kind of comes back to what we typically think of in, in marketing with having a call to action and driving people to the website and driving them into the, the sales funnel. With YouTube, I think you have to look at it a little bit differently. You're you're trying to become a thought leader. So you you want to build this audience so you can continue to grow that audience and teach that audience. I think you have to look at it as giving all this information away. And then whenever they finally do need something, you're going to be the first person they think of rather than, okay, I created this video. Now, how am I going to push them from YouTube to my website right now?
0: So would you avoid obvious call to actions at the end of videos and that kind of thing? No, like with,
1: with us, and I can give you a couple examples here too, why it's it's not necessarily a good idea. But with us, our call to actions are normally something that is keeps them on platform. So our call to actions may be hit the subscribe button or comment below or something like that. Whereas and we've done this, we've we've had lots of sponsors that they're launching a product or or whatever it may be. They want to drive people into like go fill out a form or something like that on their website. So we'll run, like for instance, we've ran giveaways where this new product just came out. We have the product, we're doing like an unboxing style of video. And at the end of the video, the call to action is, hit the link in the description to go fill out the form and in however many days we're going to pick someone off that form to get this, to win this machine. And it was a, it's like a $3,500 machine. So it's a, it's a pretty, there's a good incentive to go fill that out. Well, when i put that video out we talked about it we we did the unboxing at the end we said click the link in the description to go to go enter to win and the first like and, and you can look at this and we can talk about this in a second you can look at all this in the back end with the analytics the first 3 hours the video did did great i mean it was like 35% more than our normal what we normally see as far as views go. And then I kind of looked and I I looked down in the comment section and I saw, I want to say probably 85% of the comments were, Hey, you forgot to put the link in the description. Like I don't know where to go to, to get the, to enter. So the second that I, I, I put that link in the second I realized what I did. And if you look at the analytics, it, you can see the exact hour where our views flatten out. And it's right when I put that link in the description. So YouTube sees, okay, they're sending people off platform. We're going we're gonna to throttle those views. So there's this, there's this balance between how many people do you want to see this video to learn about your product versus go to your website.
0: Is there a way that you can sort of circumvent that problem by saying, you know, go to the link in our bio or something like that?
1: So it's funny that you say that because what what we've tried doing, and I don't have any I don't have any like real results yet, but what we've talked about doing is creating that same video and then sending people to an unlisted video that has that link in it so that video is but exactly yeah you youtube's pretty smart there's a lot of people out there that are trying to everyone wants to know like the hack on how to how to get something done but they're pretty smart when it comes to that stuff so they they know if you're sending people off platform or not
0: i think it's somewhat similar to the everyone at the moment saying Put your, I put the link in the comments on LinkedIn and just saying like, it's not a link in the post. It's a link in the comments. Have you seen that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen that. And I don't know. I, wonder. I don't know if, if that's something that, that works on LinkedIn or not, but yeah, I can tell you on YouTube, they're they're pretty good about knowing who's sending people off platform and who's not. And I mean, the nice thing about YouTube is they give you a, a very comprehensive analytics package. So you can see what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong.
0: Really, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that that's kind of the the, the fourth step in this whole thing is. After you've created your content, how do you, how do you, if it's doing well or, or if it's doing poorly? And there's, there's kind of two sides to that story. So you've got your, your front end, which is your views, your comments, your shares, all that kind of stuff. And then you've got your back end, which is the analytics. So let's, let's kind of start out with the front end because that's, that's kind of the high level. You can kind of see if you're doing well or not with the views. So obviously, if you're, if you're making content, you want to know if anyone's actually watching it. So that view count, obviously is going to tell you that so initially how do you get that view count up and how do you get feedback on that on the stuff that you've created so what we did when we first started Well.com is we told and this is we told everybody internally when a video comes out you need to watch it so we had about i want to say like 35 to 40 people, like in the actual office that would watch the video within the first day of it coming out. And back then it was, we didn't really know what we were doing. It was kind of to try to hack the system, but we, we know now that that doesn't work. But what it does do is it gives you an audience of people that can give you direct feedback. So like what I would recommend is create some sort of system where you you give the video to to your staff internally to watch it and then have some way for them to give you anonymous feedback. So nine times out of 10, if the person, they're not going to tell you that what you do sucks. So I would, I would make it some sort of anonymous system where they can tell you what's good, what's not. And then that, that can tell you at a very top level, what's working, what's not. And then also same thing, have your have your sales and marketing teams share it on their social media. So that's one thing you can do as far as like views and getting getting feedback. The other thing you want to look at is on the actual page itself, if people watched it, are they commenting? So you kind of have to look at as a percentage of views, how many people actually take the time to go down and comment? Because if you're creating, in, in my experience, if you're creating good content, that normally elicits some sort of desire to go down and engage with it, whether it's good or bad. You want to see that with me, I kind of measure it. If I'm getting... If I'm getting like 10 to 12% comments to views, that's kind of average. I'm shooting for more like 12 to 15 to, to increase that. And if I do that, I know that, okay, people, it, it hits some sort of chord with these people that they need to go down and comment. And like I said, that can be good or bad. But if you're getting these comments that that something you've done has has hit that chord with them, that, that they're going to take some sort of action. So you want to get, you want comments in your, in your videos and you want them to be comments that are not generic. So if, if you say, if you ask a question in the video and they go down and comment just to answer the question, that's, that's kind of generic. You want them to go down there on their own and tell you their story or what they thought or something like that. And then the the third thing with that,
0: go ahead. Sorry, I was going to ask, do you have a, do you have an understanding at this point of like what kind of content creates that? like you said, hits hits a chord with people and creates more comments.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's there's three, four, or five things, topics that I know within my industry are like completely polarizing. And I know that if I if I put something out on that on that topic, generally if it's something new, it'll do pretty well. If if I just create the same content with a with a slightly different spin on it. It won't necessarily things you you have diminishing returns on on the same content topics, but yeah, like for me again, I don't want to get too technical, but like in the welding industry, whether you push your your torch or whether you pull your torch. It sounds silly, but that's like a a really polarizing topic. We did a video on it where We, again, we partnered up with one of our, with one of our sponsors that has a really good scientific lab where we can do like real good testing. We, we did a push, we did a pull both on an automated system. So it takes, it takes any of the human element out of it. And then we flew up to their facility in Ohio. They machined it all out. We did tensile pulls on it. We did uh, another test, which is called a Sharpie V-notch which measures like how much impact it can take. And we kind of, we showed people, all right, there's not that big of a difference between push and pull. And even then, even after we showed that, you get people that still, that's, that's BS. I've been doing it this way my whole life. Push gets, you know, push is better or pull is better. So as you create this content, you'll figure out what those polarizing topics are And those are good ones to kind of start with because they they really
0: elicit that response. Is it something you just figure out then that you just see what they're hating on?
1: Well, that's another thing going back to these, going back to talking to these influencers or or subject matter experts, nine times out of 10, those people know what those topics are. And another thing you can do, it it sounds kind of silly, but like if, if they're like, if you go to Instagram, for example, if there's like a an industry hashtag that that's widely used within your industry, go search for like memes on that topic because generally a meme is centered around a topic that is is pretty polarizing or or it's it's something that's popular at that time. So I mean, that's something that you can that you can take advantage of in the moment.
0: Definitely, those are some great tips. Out of interest, when you first started World dot com, were you getting like ten views at the beginning? Did it take a long time for you to, to progress and to start to see the engagement that you've got today?
1: Yeah, so for us, it was a very long, slow road. But again, this is, that we started back in 2011. None of us really knew what we were doing. We were just kind of creating content and hoping that people watched it. So when I, when we first started, the owner used to come into my office every day after we after we put videos out. He'd ask me how it's doing and I I still remember, "Oh, we're up to 100 100 views. We're up to 125 views." And back then, like we got excited about that. But like today, there's so many resources out there that you can that you can use and and figure out what people want to see and and how to film it. So again, it comes back to, I, I talked about your salesman kind of standing in front of a camera and, and telling this is the store or or this is the, the features, advantages and benefits and go to our website. But it goes back to kind of thinking like, like a filmmaker. So what is going to keep the audience engaged? So like I told you in that one example, I use lots of B-roll. Other things that you can do are you can use audio tracks or sound effects that kind of cue on certain things. Occasionally you can throw like a skit or something like that in there. I wouldn't use that too terribly often because you don't want to you don't want to become like the the comedy show, but like we've done that on occasion where we'll make a a skit that's still it's educational. The things that we're kind of joking about, there's still educational value behind it. You can have like unforeseen characters. So like obviously TikTok is a big thing right now. You'll see people that are they'll talk to themselves or film film them talking to themselves and then they'll throw their hat on backwards and like they're talking to a different character. That, that's something that it keeps the audience on their toes. We've done it in in a bunch of videos. There's some other really big channels out there that do it really well. As long as it resonates with the audience and when you go into the analytics in the back end, you'll be able to see if it's working or not. But like these things that you do on the front end, in the actual creation of the content, you can go in the into the back end and look at some of the the retention reports and other things that will tell you exactly where people are falling off, which will tell you what they liked and what they didn't like, where you like, where they lost interest. So that's one of the nice things about YouTube is you can, you can visually, if you know what you're looking for, you can visually see, okay, this is working and this isn't like a per second level. Mm-hmm. So the, the analytics, when you, when you, I talked about the front end, what you can kind of look for. When you look into the back end of your YouTube analytics, it'll tell you exactly what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And the nice thing is you can craft your content around those things if you know what you're looking at. So there's three different there's three different things that I tend to look at at a very top level. And those are average watch time, average view duration, and my retention graphs. So we'll start with the average watch time and that's measured in minutes. So this is what YouTube is looking at when they're looking at how long someone is on platform so if you can keep people engaged in a video for multiple many minutes long period of time youtube likes that because they want to keep people on platform as long as possible so the next one is average view duration now that's measured as a percentage and that's what i look at as a creator how well i am Engaging my audience, how long can I get them to, to watch a video? So, if, if I can get personally, I measure it is if I can get 50% of the people to watch to the very end of the video. From my experience, I'm doing a pretty good job, and YouTube will uh, suggest those videos. And ultimately, that's your goal, is you want YouTube to recommend your content to other people. And then finally, you have your retention graph. Now, this is this is kind of a combination of, of everything. And at the end of the day, it's your best tool to see what's working and what's not. Because you can measure down to the second where people drop off. So if you're doing certain things like before, I was saying there's some different things that you can do within a video to keep people's attention. So if you start adding sound effects, you can see if that actually works in the back end on that graph. So here's an example for you. A while ago, I started not all of my videos, but in some of my videos, I would put music into it, but kind of key points, not just in the background always, but just to kind of set that mood of whatever's happening on on camera. And in the comments section. I I got a lot of comments saying, lose the music, it, it sucks, get rid of it, I don't want to see it, but the retention graph told a whole different story. When I go in the background and I look at that retention graph, I can see that when I started that music, my watch time goes up, people are are consuming a larger percentage of the video, so you have to kind of figure out, okay, the, the, some people in the comments don't like it, but as a whole, the whole audience is watching longer. So you have to kind of make that decision. Is it, is it working or is it not working? Another thing is, like I said, you can go second by second. So what I saw in my retention graph was for a long time, we would lose 25, 30, 40% of our viewing audience in the first. 10, 15 seconds of the video. So that tells me, okay, I'm doing something at the beginning of these videos that people are just losing interest right away. So whereas before we would tend to start off with, Hey, my name's whatever. Welcome back to well.com today. We're going to talk about this, that, and the other. And it's just, talking head. Now we'll use either like a a teaser from the very end of the video and something that happens, or we'll do that same thing. Hey, we're talking about this, but I'll show that B-roll over that entire intro. And now we're flattening out that that curve of people that are, are watching through that first 10, 30, 40 seconds. And really at that point, if you can get them through the first 30 seconds to a minute of your video, there's a pretty good chance that, that you'll keep them for a significantly longer period of time. And then after that, once you looking at those retention graphs, you just have to look at what's working, what's not working, cut out what doesn't work, continue to do what does work, and just kind of rinse and repeat, continuously improve that, that creation process. It's kind of a never-ending thing.
0: How can you be sure what is it that your con- your audience likes, whether it's the content, the type of content, the presenter not being that engaging, or, you know, how you introed it, that kind of thing.
1: So as far as a and again, this kind of goes back to thinking like a filmmaker and not like a marketer. So like I'll I'll never blame the the person on camera as being not engaging enough to carry forward my story. So if I know that if I have somebody who's monotone or they don't talk well on camera as the marketer or the person filming or or the team behind the strategy or whatever, I have to figure out a way to make that person engaging. And it may not be, they, they, it's very hard to get someone who's monotone to act enthusiastic. So that's not going to be the answer, but that same person who's monotone is maybe, and it's probably the reason that you have them there in the first place, they may be very good at what they do. So it might go back to to showing B-roll of them doing what they're doing or a teaser to the finished product or something like that, that in the end gets people over the fact that, okay, maybe they're not a, a great talker or presenter. I'll let their actions speak for them, not their words.
0: Great, good answer. So last question and that's about promotion what is it that we can do to increase the views of a youtube channel or any kind of videos and things like that
1: yeah so it, it, it's a combination of things like i can tell you in a lot of companies we're used to as marketers uh, a lot of us are used to okay i need to do paid ads or something like that to drive people to my channel. What I have found the best thing, and I've, I've never done any, any sort of paid ads on well.com, so I can't tell you if it, if it works or not as far as growing a channel. But for me, what tends to work for new channels is building off other people's audience. So, and this goes back to again, if you're using influencers or whatever, building up your own salespeople as influencers. In the very beginning, when you first launch the channel, when you're building out that three to five month content calendar, do that planning ahead of time. So, okay, I've got five to ten influencers that I know have a large following. They're very good at what they do. Okay, maybe I'll bring in one of those influencers for a couple of days every every couple of weeks for a couple months and bank this content and then prior to releasing that first episode, now I've got all this content banked with a bunch of these these people that have a an audience that's already built in and now they're doing the promotion for you. Another thing is a lot of a lot of companies have large email lists or other ways that they promote on a day-to-day basis. Again, I haven't I haven't tested this personally, but that could be another way that that works for certain companies is play to the market that you already have, too.
0: Definitely. Cool. Do you think YouTube is still as big an opportunity now as it was when you first started? Do you think there's still a lot of space for companies to grow audiences on there or do you think there are other channels that are going untapped?
1: Well, I think it's I think it's a combination. There's absolutely still I mean YouTube's still the the second biggest search engine in the in the world, so I mean people are still using it. But that being said, you have to look at where your audience is at too. I mean, for me, I'm in the welding and fabrication industry predominantly. And I know that in my industry, people hang out on YouTube, Instagram, and now a lot of the, the younger generation of, of welders are on TikTok. So like I know that those three platforms are very important to my content. You have to look at your company and and who you market to and are they consuming content on that platform? And I mean video is kind of universal to to any platform. I mean it's not just YouTube. You can create I I what we do at well.com is we create long-form video on YouTube and then we break it down into into different styles of content for other platforms.
0: So yeah. I think that's one of the best things about podcasts as well like if you have the time to do it you can break each podcast into i mean if if you especially if you record it you've got a youtube video there and then you can break it up into clips you can ask the host to share it and the guest to share it it's kind of i guess similar to that
1: yeah and you can write there's there's tons of blog content if your website or your company is is uh you know really into seo and building that web presence there's there's a ton of blog content you can write around a single video that doesn't, you can write multiple blog articles around a single long form video in most cases.
0: What would you do? How would you do that? Would you pick up on a particular point they said in that video and just talk about that?
1: Yeah. So like, for instance, we do a lot of like different tips. So let's say we do a video on five different tips for getting started in TIG welding. I mean, you can break down each one of those little tips into a, a blog article in itself. It's just it's it's just diving deep into a specific topic.
0: Definitely. And I think that shows the power of creating content and how much, you know, one video can turn into multiple multiple pieces of different content. Have there been any times where you've experienced sort of massive failures on the pieces of content that you've put out?
1: we still have massive failures in the content that we put out. I mean, again, it's a it's a learning experience every day. I mean, we'll have five videos in a row that do hundred 250,000 views, and then the next video we'll put out gets 10,000 views. I mean, hmm. it, it's it's constantly it's constantly evolving. It must be so frustrating when you do that. Oh, uh, yeah. Especially when you dump a lot of time into it and you think it's going to do really well. But that's <laughs> the beauty of YouTube is, is you can go back and see why it didn't get suggested the way that you thought it would.
0: Well Todd, thank you very much for talking to me and sharing all of that. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk to me about your experiences. I know I'm definitely gonna go over and check the world.com YouTube channel out and see what it's all about. Um, And for anyone else who doesn't already go follow Todd on LinkedIn. He's very interesting person to follow. Um, Come follow how the fuck and follow me. We are always posting about what we learn from these interviews. Um, so if you don't have time to listen to the full episode just like jump on there and you'll get some little nuggets of insight all right see you next week